Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to Free For All Friday. We do have lines open for the first time in a long time. We have one more guest still to come. Realignment news came down the pike officially this morning. North Carolina A&T for the last 96 years has been a member of an HBCU league. For a long time, it was the CIAA since 1971 in a league that they helped found back then. They've been in the MEAC. Well, the Aggies are on the move. Next summer, they're going to jump to the Big South. That league already has four other universities here on North Carolina soil as members. We'll talk with the Big South commissioner, Kyle Kalander, in about 30 minutes. Aggies fans, you're welcome to chime in. Not everybody likes change. We went through that when the ACC went from eight teams to nine teams and then 12 schools and now 15 different members. Change can be a good thing. Change can be a bad thing. Often in the midst, it is an indigestion type thing. You can chime in with your thoughts on that news of the day. Duke Carolina inspired our question of the day. What is the greatest rivalry you've experienced as an athlete or a fan and what made it that for you? If your answer is Duke Carolina, which resumes tomorrow night in Chapel Hill with the favored Blue Devils carrying a number seven national ranking against a Tar Heel team that is tied with lowly Wake Forest for the worst overall record among ACC teams, they're 10 up and 12 down. Heels do have Cole Anthony back. They do not have their senior sharpshooter, Brandon Robinson, still out with an ankle injury. The Blue Devils are not unbeatable. They lost to Stephen F. Austin. They lost at Clemson. They lost, of course, to Louisville at home not too long ago. But they're 19-3. and three. They have more talent. They have more quality depth. And they have that national ranking as the Tar Heels are scrambling just to try to build an NIT-type resume, much, like, much less an NCAA tournament bubble-type resume. The old phrases throw the records out, but history says that's not quite always the case. Duke has had nine, ten chances under Coach K to beat a ranked Carolina team with an unranked Duke team. He won only one of those ten. So it's hard to overcome the obvious. When you're down and your rival is up, you don't really throw out the records, although, yes, the upsets do happen in the Tar Heels case. During the Mike Krzyzewski era, Carolina has been unranked 15 different times while facing a ranked Duke team. In those 15 matchups, the Tar Heels did lose 11, as you'd probably guess, but they did win four, including six years ago when Roy Williams beat the number five Blue Devils with an unranked Carolina team. Before that, though, it was a Matt Doherty team in 2003, and before that, it was a Dean Smith team in 1990. Does not happen very often where the underdog that's unranked shocks the highly ranked opponent in this great rivalry, but it does happen. Your guess is as good as mine in terms of the scoreboard. I do think you'll see the Tar Heels' best effort. The biggest fly in the ointment, really, for any Carolina fan thinking of an upset is that offense. Given more practice time under Roy Williams with Cole Anthony healthy again, by Greensboro and the ACC tournament, because the heel, could the Heels be a much better version of themselves? Yes. The effort will be there tomorrow. Duke is not going to put up a half-hearted effort the way they did in that first half at Boston College where they were trailing the Eagles earlier this week. You're going to get the best of Duke effort-wise. You're going to get the best of Carolina effort-wise. You're going to get the best of Carolina fans volume-wise on national TV. But at some point, you got to execute. And I think the Tar Heels defensively with Cole Anthony as their ball hawk out front can be pretty good. They've got big guys down low to help deal with Vernon Carey, right? 
Garrison Brooks is a good player. Armando Baycott is a good freshman center. They have a chance defensively against Duke. Offensively, the fly in the ointment without enough practice time probably with Cole Anthony back but Brandon Robinson out. It has been the ugliest offense for any team under Roy Williams in 40-plus years in coaching, counting his time under Dean Smith as an assistant. I, I just haven't seen such a disjointed team. They don't run the fast break the way he wants. They don't hit threes the way he wants. They don't move the ball the way he wants. They don't execute the half-court offense the way he wants. And, man, that is a really hard thing to just flip a switch on and hope you can do it just because you passionately want to beat your rival tomorrow on your home court. That does not usually happen. Could it happen? Of course, as Dumb and Dumber might say. So you're saying there's a chance. 1-800-849-2761. Tatum and Durham has a Duke Carolina gambling story. As we look forward to tomorrow's 100th anniversary celebration of Duke Carolina, yes, it dates to 1920, and here we get our first 2020 matchup. We'll get another one in Durham later. I will offer you my favorite memory in 30-plus years of covering Duke Carolina after we talk to you because it's Free For All Friday. Tatum, welcome to the David Glenn Show. Go right ahead. DG, it's a pleasure and an honor to talk to you on the air today. Well, thank um, you, sir. I am a diehard UNC fan. My uh, longtime friend since uh, elementary and middle school. We still hang out today. He's a big-time Duke fan. Cool. And uh, in, in 2007, uh, we made a, uh, a gentleman wager of $1 for, uh, for the Duke-UNC basketball game. And since then, we've been trading uh, the same dollar, which has now <laughs> turned into two because we've filled it up. We, uh, when the, you know, whoever wins, uh, will write the score, the date, and the loser <laughs> has to initial it. And uh, and we've also been posting the uh, the congratulatory and losing picture on Facebook uh, with a little bit of extra embarrassment. Um, the notable games, of course, uh, when Austin Rivers hit that daggum wow. three pointer. And then there's the snow game that they couldn't make it to Chapel Hill for some reason. Uh, and all, uh, most of uh, Hansbro's wins and Cameron are on there, of course. So it's a, it's a big time deal for us. That's and, cool. Uh, and we're going to carry on the, the, the tradition and, until we can, can no longer. <laughs> That's a great story. Now let me ask you one quick follow-up, Tatum. Has it yes, ever gotten between you and your buddy, whether it goes back to the betting of 20, 2007 or even the longer-term friendship, has the intensity of the rivalry ever sort of gotten away in the fr- of the friendship, or have you guys kept sort of that more positive mojo surrounding this thing? It's definitely a positive mojo. I, I can't say that we've ever been, like, uh, I don't know, angry or, or... – cool. Or, or anything against each other. It's just a, a good, friendly rivalry. Now, there have been some moments post-game on either of the losing side where uh, one of us, uh, whoever loses, is, you know, a little sore and uh, a little out of sorts. But Maybe mad know, at the referee. Mad, yeah, mad at the referee, mad at your team, disappointed, whatever. That's all normal. Are you old enough to go all the way back to, like, the 80s or early 90s with your memory of this rivalry? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've, okay. I, I have a vivid memory of Michael Jordan hitting the oh, winning okay. shot against right. Georgetown. I was, I was born in 75. Gotcha. All right, cool. Thanks for sharing that story. The reason I asked Tatum about the hate aspect channels right into my favorite Duke Carolina memory. Now, I don't know if this falls into old corny guy status. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. I'm not sure. 
But I first covered this league as a young man who was essentially the the age of the participants, right? So I'm writing as a 20 or 21 or 22-year-old about 20 and 21 and 22-year-olds. Coach K already had Duke rolling by the late 80s. Dean Smith had already won a national title by the late 80s. Those two were nose-to-nose, pardon the pun, as they were two of the best programs in America. And there I was, a young, blossoming professional sports writer. It was like a dream come true. I'm just dropped right in the middle of one of America's greatest sports rivalries. And I literally had, many times, a front row seat for an interview with Coach K, an interview with Dean Smith, or, you know, the two that we always got, Duke Carolina. Sometimes you'd get a third in the ACC tournament because as two of the best teams, they did run into each other from time to time in the conference tournament. In the late 80s, because I knew the participants, many of them, I'm not saying that this applied to every person. However, I guarantee you, because I lived it, that there was a lot of hate involved in the Duke Carolina rivalry. I mean, King Rice and Bobby Hurley, as the point guards on opposite sides, came really close. I don't know if they would use the word hate. It is a strong word. Growing up in the Glen household in Pennsylvania as a little kid, we were not allowed to use the word hate. That's how my mom and dad felt about the word hate. So you could call it intense dislike if you prefer. But I'm telling you, because I was there, Bobby Hurley and King Rice had an intense dislike of one another. King Rice would try to rough him up physically. King, who was built like a football player. Hurley, an All-American, but built more like a string bean, especially in his earlier years at Duke. It was physically intimidating basketball. It was fans putting up signs like, J.R. can't read, which sent Dean Smith through the roof because he thought that the Cameron Crazies had gone too far and taken what should be a rivalry of, yes, passionate competition, but also some underlying respect in there somewhere. And even though Kay and Dean had their moments where it was not quite as warm and fuzzy, they mostly managed to keep that stuff above board. So there were moments of incivility on both sides. There were absolutely examples. Steve Bucknall, J.R. Reed, King Rice, and other Tar Heels. Bobby Hurley, Christian Leitner, Danny Ferry, and other Blue Devils. We hear more recently lots of stories of Duke and Carolina players going to the same parties and, like, smiling and taking selfies and arms around one another. You know, Wayne Ellington and Gerald Henderson were on opposite sides of the Duke-Carolina rivalry, but they were high school teammates and classmates, and they helped foster this atmosphere of mutual respect and sometimes even, hey, let's go to the same barbershop. And when we're not, of course, still at each other's throats trying to beat them into oblivion on the basketball court, there was this different open window for the possibility of friendship and civility and seriously inviting each other to the same parties or getting together at the same barbershops, etc. That was not the case in the late 1980s when I started covering this. And I actually thought through the eyes of a young man, I wasn't that bothered by it. Through the eyes of a guy who's a dad twice over, and an older guy, hopefully with a little bit more perspective about, of about life and sports and just the bigger picture, what's important, what's less important, et cetera. I just came to learn somewhere along the way, and I celebrate that the Duke-Carolina rivalry kind of took a similar turn 
as my eyes were opened a little bit wider on the bigger picture, I'm a competitive guy, still am, was as an athlete, and some of my worst moments came probably because I was too competitive. And I got better at that stuff as I got older. Hopefully all of us, with more maturity comes more wisdom. With more experience comes a better understanding of the bigger picture. I came to embrace in life that you can be intense without hating. The H word again, right? You can be devout, for example, in the faith or religious world without hating. I sometimes wonder about those who point to their Bible or their religion as the reason they demean or degrade or mistreat or call out this group or that, LGBT or otherwise. You can be devout without hating, I'm certain of it, especially if you're reading a book that's supposed to be about love primarily. And you're a hypocrite if you turn that upside down. And no, I don't apologize for putting it that way because I'm right. You can be intense without hating. You can be devout without hating. You can even be uber competitive without hating. And those guys will go each, at each other's throats tomorrow, competitively speaking, as they should. But they're also going to some of the same parties, meeting at the barbershop, speaking respectfully of one another's coaches, of one another personally. And that is not what I saw in the late 1980s when I started covering Duke Carolina. Anybody who lived through that stretch with me knows what I am talking about. It was unpleasant between the fan bases. I've been interviewed for countless TV and documentaries on Duke Carolina, books, etc. I'll never forget one of the authors that interviewed me long ago because I am now 30-plus years into covering Duke Carolina very closely. He entitled his book, To Hate Like This Is To Be Happy Forever. That was the name of his book about the Duke Carolina rivalry. And I appreciated the catchy nature of the name of the book. To hate like this is to be happy forever. And he accurately channeled in stories like legendary UNC basketball figure, Larry Brown, famous as a coach, of course. Larry Brown of Carolina and Art Heyman of Duke truly had a fist fight on the court in the 1960s. I witnessed a lot of hate in different contexts in the late 80s, maybe even early 90s. Some people will ask me sometimes, why as a sports radio host or a semi-public figure as a, or as a public speaker or whatever, man, why are you so intense about some things beyond sports? Well, because I'm a believer that when it comes to things like racism and sexism and misogyny and religious bigotry or degrading or demeaning or mistreating someone just because of the color of their skin, you know, the racial taunts we see of athletes in a lot of different sports – I just saw on the news this week, there's a school meeting where a man of Mexican descent is talking about his child being harassed and bullied at school. And, you know, clueless white guy said, well, why didn't your family just stay in Mexico generations ago? It's that kind of ignorance and bigotry that I believe we should not end up saying, well, we'll just agree to disagree. Bleep that. That's my attitude toward that. Screw you. No, I'm not going to agree to disagree. I'm going to call you out as a racist and a bigot and an ignorant person. And sometimes when you try to apply where you should draw those firm lines in life, and I don't like being confrontational. I don't dislike it the way many people do, especially in the South. I think there are times to be intense. I don't believe I should pacify you or enable your ignorance 
or vote for you if you're somebody who symbolizes such things. I'm not going to do it, and I lose a lot of respect for those who do. But I've been in enough competitive environments, and I've covered enough great rivalries that I know that you can be intense without hating in that context. You can be devout without hating. You can want to badly beat your opponent on the scoreboard without hating. And Duke Carolina rivalry has become that. And five years ago, do y'all remember how Duke reacted when the legendary coach Dean Smith died? I'm telling you, the culture I observed in the late 1980s would not have allowed for what I saw five years ago at Cameron Indoor Stadium. For those who don't remember, Dean Smith had died. Mike Krzyzewski not only went to the funeral, he wore a light blue tie to the funeral. And you might say, well, that's a trivial thing, no big deal, whatever, and you may be right. Beyond that, though, what I witnessed at Cameron Indoor Stadium was the evolution of a rivalry, reinforcing that you can be competitive. You can want to go at each other with every fiber of your being. You can want to win as intensely as you've ever wanted to do anything. But hate is not really required. And they went at each other's throats. And they played that great basketball game at Cameron. It was actually February of 2015, almost five years ago. But you know what they did after Coach K wore the Carolina blue tie? Probably only had one. Had to probably send somebody out just to buy that one for that sad occasion where he paid his respects to somebody who he did go toe-to-toe with, sometimes with a little nastiness involved, but they made peace eventually. And they went toe-to-toe sometimes through blood, sweat, and tears. But the undercurrent of mutual respect took over after those nastier moments from the 1980s, for example. After Dean Smith had died, it was a Wednesday night at Cameron Indoor Stadium. Cameron, as many of you know, is one of the loudest places you can possibly be in the world of sports. Seriously, your body shakes, you catch spittle and sometimes face paint from the Cameron crazies behind you. It's the loudest place in the world, and I heard it as quiet as it has ever been as someone who's covered more than 50 Duke Carolina games probably half and half. I try to get to Cameron Indoor Stadium almost every year. Duke coach Mike Krzyzewski not only said, we're going to do a little something to remember Dean Smith, they took it to the next level. What you knew they were going to do, whether it was devout or just for show, was do something. If it was a hate-filled rivalry, all they would have done was something, right? People expect it, you better do it, or there's going to be blowback. Instead of just doing something, Everybody who was in that building that night would remember what they did, which was next-level stuff, which was a reminder that you can want to beat each other's brains in, that you can care as passionately about winning and even crushing your opponent as anyone who's ever laced up the sneakers. They went to center court. They asked the Cameron Crazies to be quiet. I think it was for about a minute. And you could have heard a pin drop in that building as Dean Smith's picture And his smiling face was put up on the board at Cameron Indoor Stadium. And the words were, thank you, Coach Smith. And some Duke fans, you know the block letter, I guess it's called, Duke across the front? They used the same color scheme and uh, what would you call that? The font, if you will. And it was Dean instead, worn by the Duke fans. You didn't have to do that, right? You don't do that if it's an undercurrent of hatred. You do that if it's an undercurrent of respect. And if you were there, you not only remember the minute of pin drop silence, 
you remember Coach Smith's smiling face on the Cameron video board, and you remember Mike Krzyzewski, Roy Williams, their coaches, and their players going to center court before the opening tip. There's no way the culture of this rivalry would have allowed for this in the late 1980s when I first saw it. You'd have been far more likely to see profanity flying in both directions, seriously. During live action and sometimes even between the coaches and the referees or whatever. Not so much Coach Smith, but you know what I mean. They went out there, and they could have been separate in their solemn moment together. Instead, if you can find the pictures probably to this day, they knelt at the basketball center circle as Cameron Indoor Stadium fell silent, and Mike Krzyzewski purposely lined up and Roy Williams purposely lined up right next to each other. It was not Team A facing Team B, which they could have done. It was a circle, and many players interlocked arms, and many players put arms and hands around each other's shoulders. And Mike Krzyzewski and Roy Williams knelt side by side and put their arms around each other during that moment of silence or minute of silence in honor of the UNC coach, Dean Smith. You can be intense without hating. You can be devout without hating. You can be uber competitive without hating. The greatest rivalry in American sports, or at worst one of them, had that moment and treated it that way. That is my favorite moment in the Duke-Carolina rivalry that I have covered for more than 30 years in large part because that undercurrent was not there in the late 80s. And that evolution is a reminder of how something great but flawed can become even something greater, and I think that's what Duke Carolina is today. Whatever tomorrow's game may have awaiting us. 1-800-849-2761. Kyle Kalander from the Big South. Later this hour, your calls, too, on the David Glenn Show. Mac Brown of the University of North Carolina. we got to win now. Let's don't start looking at rebuilding. Let's don't talk about how bad we are. Let's don't talk about we're not better than anybody. Let's figure out how to win. And that's what we've done. And, and the Coastal, because it's been up in the air every year, why shouldn't we have a chance? Keep it dialed in to the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Let me get some calls in. Kyle Kalander's going to join us. More realignment is on the way. North Carolina A&T is breaking a 96-year tradition of playing in HBCU leagues. They're headed to the Big South in 2021, meaning next summer. Kyle Kalander's the commissioner of that league. He made the news official earlier today. Jesse is in Carborough and has a rivalry on his mind. I think almost every vote today, what is the greatest rivalry you've ever experienced as an athlete or fan and what made it that, has been team versus team. Many of you have elaborated on why and given your favorite memories of the Duke-Carolina men's basketball rivalry, which resumes tomorrow night in Chapel Hill. Jesse has a different twist on the question of the day. Welcome to Free For All Friday. Go right ahead. David, hey, Jesse Bass night in Carborough. Hey, Great show. Thank really, you. always enjoy listening to you. Thank you. Uh, but first thought came to my mind when I thought rivalry, of course, was the Tar Heels. Great team rivalry, them and Duke. But individual rival um, of all time, as far as I'm concerned, being the old guy that I am, thinking back <laughs> to the 60s and 70s, was Jack versus Arnie. Man, I'm, uh, I wish I got to see that. Tell me how it, how it unfolded before your eyes, because I have read that was about as good as it gets. 
Well, it was, and, you know, there were a lot of good golfers back then, not near as many as there are now, but, um, you know, Arnie uh, had the Army that followed him tournament to tournament. He, he was a smoker, smoked, uh, you, you, it's unusual watching him walk down the fairway smoking the cigarettes, and then um, here comes this young Ohio State Buckeye coming in, Jack Nichols, uh, who took the took the game by storm. Yeah. Uh, but it was a great rivalry, um, and Arnie's Army was uh, uh, second to none. I tell you, it, I, every time I think about the rivalry, it, it uh, just bring, almost brings tears to my eyes because there's not one like it now in the game. No, two of the greatest uh, the, golfers of all time. Arnie, of course, his Army includes a lot of Wake Forest people. The late great Arnold Palmer, uh, and who spent time at Wake Forest and always will represent the Demon Deacons, and Jack Nicholas was like the golden boy, right? I mean, a little bit younger than Ar- Arnie, uh, but to this day, Jack, of course, has more majors than anybody else. I mean, we've got Tiger, Phil. We've got some other more modern rivalries, man to man in golf, uh, and some great ones in tennis and other sports as well. But, uh, but yeah, from what I've read, that the Arnie Jack one was about as good as it's ever been in the sport of golf. Thanks for playing, Jesse. Thank you for your kind words as well. On the other side, the commissioner of the Big South Conference. It's about to grow, and North Carolina A&T is leaving the MEAC behind. It helped, it helped found that league in 1971. A&T is the largest HBCU in the nation. It is a, an FBS or FCS, rather, football powerhouse, also a very strong basketball program. They're in first place right now in the MEAC, the Aggies. After 96 years in two different HBCU leagues, they're joining High Point, Campbell, UNC, Asheville, Gardner-Webb, and the rest of the members of the Big South Conference. We'll talk with the commissioner of that league, Kyle Kalander, next on the David Glenn Show. Mike Lupica, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Sports used to be called the toy department, and I said, look at the political scene, and, and, and tell me that's any more real or, or more serious than what we see when people say, oh, stick to sports. Well, who passed that law? You're listening to the David Glenn Show. to the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to Free For All Friday. Word leaked out earlier this week, and it became official this morning, that one of our proud athletic departments will be jumping leagues starting next summer. The Aggies of North Carolina A&T, who have a 96-year tradition in two different HBCU conferences. First, the CIAA, and since 1971, in the MEAC, a league they helped found all those many years ago. They're jumping to the Big South starting next summer where they will join from our backyard. Coaches and programs like Tubby Smith and High Point, the Campbell Camels, UNC Asheville and Gardner-Webb. Joining us now is one of the folks who helped make the news official earlier today. He's the Big South commissioner and has been for a long time. Kyle Kalander, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? David, I'm fine. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to have you. You know, when I jumped into this crazy college sports business just as a journalist, it was kind of old school where you kind of aligned yourself with schools that had a similar view of sports as you do and who kind of lived somewhat near you, right? And now with TV money driving the world, these leagues are scattered all over the place. It feels like the Big South may be still – 
the best example of kind of a tight-knit community because all of your full-time members are in three different states, right? Well, that's right. We, now with A&T coming in, it's 12 schools in three states, Virginia and the Carolinas. And uh, you, know, you think about it, how did conferences originally form? Uh, you know, it was like-minded institutions in the same geographic region. Yeah. Uh, region. And um, you know, that's why I feel like we've really got a special thing going, and especially for, for conferences like ours, mid-majors, you might, you might say. You know, we're, we're true to our roots. Yes, you're, you don't have the crazy TV money that you're chasing, and so we understand there's a difference. But at the same time, you know, this allows schools to, to be sensible financially, uh, to miss less class. And we're really here about the student athlete, right? right. I mean, we want to be successful athletically, but we're training them to be successful in life and get degrees and, and move on. And so that's really important. And, you know, the other part of this, and I, I've hated to see it across the country, is the loss of such great rivalries. And so if you're able to keep reasonable geographic sensibility, you develop those rivalries, you protect those rivalries, and, and your fans, you love it because you can go to the games, you don't have to travel too far, develop some real strong uh, competition within markets and regions, uh, and then you end up having more exposure because of that. So, you know, we think this is the future for our conference and for similar mid-major conferences, and, and we're on the right track. Why was North Carolina A&T uh, desirable in the eyes of you and your league members? And I know, of course, they have a long list of reasons why you were desirable for them. Well, you know, first of all, we want to be proactive in, in the membership space. Uh, you know, of course, in Division One, there's always churn. There's always activity out there. That's, that's just part of the deal now. And, and I've lived it for 30 years or so. And so we're always looking to see how can we protect membership, how can we get better, um, how can we uh, develop a, a long-lasting stability and, and relationships with, with institutions that we feel good about. And so as we, as we continue to do that, um, began to talk about NCA&T. And frankly, I, I wasn't as familiar as I should have been, quite frankly. And, and But the more we looked into it, the more we researched them, the more we talked about them and talked to them, the more we all became convinced, myself and, and our presidential leadership, that they would be an outstanding institution for the Big South Conference. I mean, you look at, number one, the leadership is tremendous. Chancellor Martin, Earl Holden, their AD, um, both have done such a great job there. And that's evidenced by the, the academic prowess and the improvement that has taken place on campus uh, across their academic programs and, and support facilities. Um, the um, athletic uh, um, prowess, of course, you know, outstanding football. Um, we expect they're going to come in and challenge for championships right away. Really good basketball, women's and men's, track and field. I mean, just, just a great addition athletically. And, and then it goes back to the ge geographic piece that you're talking about. But number one, it's really about does the institution make sense for us as far as like-minded, similar in terms of its uh, commitment academically, institutionally. Uh, and uh, if you got the right leadership in place, that uh, solves a lot of ill. Kyle Calander's joining us. He is in his 24th year as the commissioner of the Big South, recently negotiated with ESPN, a TV deal through 2025. That league's basketball games, for examples, for example, are all on either ESPN Plus or ESPN3. Some are on ESPNU, but great growth and expansion just in exposure and I'm sure some dollars as well for the Big South 
uh, conference. One question we got here that would not necessarily be on your list of responsibilities, but I just uh, want your general thoughts. We have the Aggie Eagle Classic in North Carolina, right? So Central and A&T were uh, in the CIAA together, I think, for a long time, and then more recently the MEAC for a long time. Nothing about this move by A&T to the Big South prevents anybody from, you know, scheduling non-conference games where, you know, the Aggie Eagle gatherings, quite famous in our parts, can continue, you know, well into the future, even though they're not going to be in the same league starting next summer, right? No, that's absolutely right. And, and uh, representatives from A&T said that at the press conference. And, and of course, it's, you know, they can speak to it better than I can. But um, there's no question they want to continue those relationships, those rivalries, those those opportunities. That's important to their fan base. It's important to their institutions. Um, and they're really important to uh, to who they are. And we want to support that and, and, and help them with that as much as we can, and whether it's scheduling or other things. You know, Hampton's in a similar situation, of course, and we've worked with them on that. And we, we honor and respect that. We understand the importance. So, um, you know, we're we're a diverse conference. We've got publics, we've got privates, we've got faith-based institutions that have some scheduling criteria they look at, uh, and now two HBCUs. So, you know, we do celebrate the difference, and, and we want to learn from each other and help each other and, uh, uh, you know, try to be as successful as we can together. And that's part of it. A&T has, had become just kind of an FCS football superpower. And, you know, here they are in first place right now in basketball as well in the MEAC. What is your sense of the Big South as like-minded institutions that want to hang around as FCS football members right now? Because, you know, Coastal Carolina jumped to FBS from your league into the Sun Belt. We have seen Liberty jump from your league uh, into the FBS ranks as well. Do, do you have a sense of, you know, where that stands as the Big South adds A&T next summer? Well, again, certainly that's a question for A&T. You know, we feel very good about them coming in as a conference member. They've uh, certainly indicated their desire is to be a, a long-standing, long-term member of the Big South Conference. You know, we don't begrudge anybody their aspirations, and, we, and everybody has them. And so when Liberty and Coastal decided they wanted to move to FBS, that's great. You know, we understand that. Um, we feel good about the fact that, uh, you know, we've got programs in the Big South Conference that, uh, that uh, in the case of Coastal anyway, FBS conferences are interested in taking. So that says a lot about the quality of play in the Big South Conference. But I don't think that's in the cards anytime soon. Again, that's a question for them. Yeah. But um, we feel very good about football in the Big South. A&T is going to come in. They're going to contend right away, obviously, for championships. And with uh, you bring them in with Kennesaw State, a job Monmouth's done, North Alabama up and coming, um, Campbell University, of course, right in your own backyard. The great job Mike Minner has done there. Uh, you know, we think we're going to be a, an FCS football power in, the, in a very short period of time. I know earlier in your career, you worked as a high-ranking official in the Southwest Conference. So, you know, kind of more of that Power Five concept, although that term wasn't around back then, I guess. What are, how uh, do you you've really, you've really dug deep, haven't you? Yeah, you know, I try to do my homework. Uh, <laughs> how do you summarize, like, just the differences? It's not like you're trying to win less, right? But you mentioned student-athletes. I didn't play at a very high level, but I know what long bus trips can do 
to your academics, and you do have more of this, you know, three-state footprint where A&T will be visiting those in Virginia and South Carolina, but, you know, they're not going to be going to Bethune-Cookman in Florida or all these teams in the Northeast, et cetera. Uh, how do you summarize just the different culture maybe at one of the biggest conferences versus the approach to the academic athletic balance in a league like the Big South? Well, of course, that, that situation was a very geographic league, and, and, and unfortunately that was part of its downfall because they didn't have a television household yeah. to get back to your earlier point. But, um, you know, there's a lot more similarities than you would think. Okay. Uh, the difference, differences in the decimal points and where you're putting them. Yeah. Um, so um, we, are, we are all interested in the student-athlete experience, and uh, what I think that we've been able to do is to keep our priorities more a little bit more in line with uh, with the importance of that um, student athlete experience from the standpoint of uh, again uh, you know really focusing on the the degree and the academics uh, through less missed class time and through uh, you know keeping college athletics uh, more regional and more about rivalries and I think that's uh, I think it's really important. You now have more North Carolina-based universities. Well, I guess technically you won't have A&T until next summer, but you know we've always thought of the ACC as a North Carolina-oriented league with four members here in our backyard dating you know, to the 1950s. You're now going to have five with High Point and Campbell and UNC Asheville and Gardner-Webb and soon North Carolina A&T. It's, I know uh, you often have events here in North Carolina, uh, postseason and otherwise. Does it feel like kind of the cultural center of the Big South? Well, I think it's really become that, and, and beginning uh, next year in, in the, the winter or spring of 21, Charlotte's going to be home for our basketball championship, yeah. men's and women's, um, and so we'll have March Madness in North Carolina as well. So it just makes it makes so much sense uh, to be able to have that tournament in the central part of our uh, of our conference, make it easy for fans to get to, easy for teams to get to, a great destination uh, for that event. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, it just it again. It gets back to uh, travel and, and rivalries and those kinds of things. So North Carolina is a great state. I live in Charlotte. I, lo- right. I love living in right. North Carolina, and so uh, to be able to have a, a real nucleus of institutions right in the heart of big, the Big South Conference footprint, uh, you know, I think the recipe for success. Kyle Kalander joining us from the headquarters there. The Big South Conference does call Charlotte home. Thanks for the time on the David Glenn Show. Congratulations on the the big news involving North Carolina A&T. Really appreciate you having me on this big day for the Big South. Thanks so much. Appreciate that. The Aggies are on the move. They'll play this year, of course, and finish it out in the MEAC. They will play next season in the MEAC. It is the summer of 2021 where the move is actually made from the MEAC to the Big South. That is a big turning of the page for the biggest HBCU in the entire country and you could argue the most successful athletics program among HBCUs in the entire country given that the Aggies keep winning celebration bowls as the MEAC champions in football. And right now, among other times, their first place in the MEAC basketball standings they have dominated at times. They have represented on the national stage well as times as members of the CIAA back in the day, as members of the MEAC since 1971. They're jumping to the Big South in the summer of 2021. A lot of the Aggies fans I've heard from today have some indigestion about this. 
Some are trying to see the pluses outweighing the minuses. And keep in mind, and A&T has enforced this, of course, the Aggie Eagle Classic stuff is not going to go away. You can still schedule each other as members of different leagues. So whether it's our big tailgate tour and we're at the Aggie Eagle Football Classic every single year or the basketball games that happen twice every season as Duke and Carolina get together in the regular season twice every season, doesn't have to go away just because you're no longer members of the same league. And for a while, actually, A&T was in the MEAC prior to Central joining the MEAC. So they had done this dance as members of different conferences, even in the past. Appreciate Kyle Kalander, Big South Commissioner, for dropping by. Carlos Boozer of Duke and the NBA in the books as well. We'll have final thoughts and TV picks as we're halfway to Margaritaville on this Friday afternoon. Jimmy Buffett will take us into the weekend with a little lovely cruise as we perhaps have a chance for another call or two. Duke, Carolina. The return of the XFL, the Carolina Hurricanes, the NBA, a little golf, some college football leftovers, and some realignment back in play. How about that whopper of a headline from this morning? 1-800-849-2761. The 100th anniversary of Duke Carolina basketball is upon us. Final thoughts and TV picks next. He's the UVA head basketball coach, Tony Bennett. You always believed in us. I guess you were the wind beneath our wings. There you go. How's that? <laughs> Do we but, have uh, background music that's for that? Right. That's right. Bette Midler. There we go. You are the wind Keep it right here on the David Glenn Show. to the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to Free For All Friday. We are coming down the stretch on today's program. And down the stretch It's one of my favorites, Jimmy Buffett, taking us into the weekend as we're halfway to Margaritaville. He calls this one Lovely Cruise, one of my five or so favorite Buffett songs. We try to make it a lovely cruise for you in the sports world five days a week for whatever chunk of it you can spend with us. Thanks for putting up with us on the days we accidentally crash you into the rocks. Most days seem to go much more smoothly. The cruise motif is certainly easy one to enjoy. Appreciate Jay Billis, Seth Greenberg, Carlos Boozer, and others for dropping by on our way into the Duke Carolina rivalry and its resumption. Lavelle Moten was a lot of fun this week as well from NC Central. Mac Brown celebrating on National Signing Day. A lot of had a lot of fun with Coach yesterday as I was the master of ceremonies and he was the featured speaker as we raised a lot of money for a great cause, the Coach Bill Dooley Educational Foundation. Shout out to all of those folks, Coach Bunning, Marie Dooley, Sandy Coletti, and Coach Mac Brown, John Bunting as well. Had a lot of fun with them with Scott Hamilton in my chair as the guest host yesterday. You can watch the return of the XFL tomorrow if you'd like. You got Duke Carolina tomorrow night, of course, in Chapel Hill. I don't like the Heels' chances very much. Louisville welcomes UVA to town in another college basketball highlight. A little golf at the Pebble Beach Pro-Am, a little MMA, John Jones on pay-per-view. Jazz Rockets and other NBA action. The Canes are out in Vegas tomorrow night. We hope you enjoy those games, and we hope you're with us on Monday. Thanks for your time with us on the David Glenn Show. Mr. President, Barack Obama, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? David, it's great to be on. It's wonderful to, to talk to the folks in North Carolina. I always say uh, I love the state of North Carolina, 
Love the people in North Carolina. Even the folks who don't support me down there are nice to me. The David Glenn Show.